text this morning at 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 to 20. Paul writes, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. In keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. And some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Father, we ask that today as we look at this text that you would help us to understand what it's about, help us to see how it relates to our life, and I pray that you would teach us how to fight the good fight and to walk with you each day in victory and the power of your Holy Spirit to be growing, to be maturing, to be a godly witness for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are certain people in my life that I would listen to intently if they gave me counsel or advice. One of those was my father, and others are my spiritual mentors who have helped me along the way. And about three years ago, I hit a point where I needed to talk to somebody. Uh, and I called up one of those mentors, a man named Dr. Bob Ricker. And some of you know that name. Uh, Bob was a pastor at Grace Church at Edina for many years, and then later uh, came back to Grace and Eden Prairie for a time and filled in there. And uh, he is married to my cousin Dee, and he has been one of my heroes. He's a veteran of ministry who's served a long time. He's retired now, and he has done that well with grace and with honor, and he has served God faithfully. And I called him up at that point because I needed someone to talk to. I was at a point where I was going through this stage where my mom had passed away, my sister was dealing with a terminal illness, a best friend of mine was also struggling with a terminal illness. Uh, At church, we were in the search for a worship pastor. Uh, There were some concerns that people had about our youth ministry. I'm trying to preach and teach and lead and do all the normal kind of counseling and ministry that we do here. But in my heart... I'm feeling really sad. And there are times when that happens in ministry um, where we are struggling ourselves. And I called Bob up and I asked him, you know, how do you do this when your heart is breaking? And, you know, ministry uh, isn't just head work. Ministry is heart work. Preaching isn't just head work. It's not just the communication of information. But it's me speaking from my heart to your heart. And there's, there's an energy involved in that. And there's a, um, more that's going on spiritually than I think we even realize at times of how that works in this connection that is being made as the Holy Spirit takes the words that I use and He takes the words of Scripture and He applies it to your life. And Bob understood that. And he listened and he gave me some godly counsel. He encouraged me, he said, you know, to talk to your elders. If you need to take a Sunday off, do that. They'll understand. He told me to hang in there. He affirmed my ministry and the way that God was at work. And he talked about seasons of life that we go through. And some of you are in a season like that, where you are grieving because of a number of things that have happened in your life back to back to back. And he really just gave me permission to take care of myself at a time when I needed that. I listened and I drank in what he was saying. 
Well, that's what Paul is doing for Timothy in this letter. Timothy is a young pastor in a struggling church. And I have no doubt that the church in Ephesus was growing. It was a significant ministry. We read about that in the book of Acts. There are stories that are told of what God was doing in Ephesus. But Timothy was just a young pastor. And he was put into this very important and prominent position. And he's struggling with, what do I do? Because there are these men who have come into the church and who have been a part of the church that are false teachers and they're trying to split this congregation. How do I lead this kind of church? And Timothy, by nature, was not a fighter like Paul. Paul's the kind of guy, you know, where I, I get the impression of Paul that he would like a good fight. And he would jump in there and he'd be right in there and going back and forth. But Timothy was different. He was more timid by nature, less confrontational. And yet here is a situation in which he needed to be strong. And so Paul writes to Timothy as a father speaking to a son. In fact, you'll see that in verse 2. He says to Timothy, my true son in the faith. He writes to encourage him. Again, in verse 18, he says, Timothy, my son. Paul felt that way about Timothy, that he was his son in the Lord. Timothy had learned the faith from his mother and his grandmother, but when Paul came to their village and taught and preached, Timothy's heart was warm. And he saw in Timothy a good man, a young man with potential. And so Paul is giving Timothy this charge. And he tells him that this charge is in keeping with your calling. In fact, he gives them this command. In verse 3, he said, he commanded him, uh, he said, command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. And in verse 18, he says, Timothy, I give you this instruction, literally this command, it's the same word, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. This charge is in keeping with your calling. Timothy, do you remember God's call on your life? Do you remember when the elders laid their hands on you and they prayed for you at your commissioning? And do you remember the prophecies that were said and the things spoken about you? God spoke to you. God has gifted you. And you are the right man for this place and this time in ministry. And God's going to use you. Do you know what that means for a young pastor who may be struggling? That's powerful. To have one of your mentors, here Paul, be the one who's affirming Timothy that you are the right man for this spot and this time. You see, there is a responsibility that is given to everyone who is called into ministry. On my diploma from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, it has stamped in the seal these words from 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. We have been entrusted with the Gospel. And I want to read for you that verse. I don't have it on the screen, but 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says this, that on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the Gospel. And we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. It is a reminder that we have been given a great trust, the privilege to proclaim God's Word and to teach the Gospel. 
And we are to safeguard that. And he tells us that our audience is not the people that we speak to primarily, but our audience is God. And we speak to please Him. And so Paul says to Timothy, Be of good courage, my son, and fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight. This passage reminds us that the Christian life is a battle. And we are all called to fight the good fight of faith. Ray Stedman said that the fundamental nature of Christianity is that it is a warfare in which we are all involved. And there is no exit until the end. The moment you begin your Christian life by faith in Jesus Christ, you entered a lifelong battle. And this struggle is not intended to be easy. God allowed these tests and trials and challenges along the way to build our faith. He doesn't want us to simply come to Christ and then coast, or come to Christ and then kind of take things easy and kick back and wait for us to take Him home. No, we entered into a struggle. It is a fight. It is a warfare that takes place. And we are in this battle whether we want to be or not. We have an enemy who wants to destroy our faith. This verse was read to us earlier from 1 Peter 5, that we are to be self-controlled and alert because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in your faith. We have an enemy who's looking for someone that he can have for lunch, if he will, or wipe them out in terms of their Christian faith, or discourage them, or beat them up. And he doesn't play fair. He strikes at people when you are at the weakest point, or when you are down, or when you are already feeling bad about stuff. He comes and he piles on. Because he'd love to see you simply give up on the Christian life. The Bible tells us that our primary struggle is spiritual in nature. In Ephesians 6.12, it says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not primarily people who we are struggling against, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now think about that. There are rulers... And there are authorities and there are powers that we can't even see. I think about that when I listen to astronomers who tell us that about 95% of the mass of the universe, we don't know where it is. <laughs> what we see is about 5% and there's about 95% out there that we know it's there, but we don't know where it is or what it is. And I think of that in terms of the spiritual realm too. That there is a whole other world out there. We can't see them with our own eyes physically, but they see us. There are angels who are here today. There are angels watching over these services that we have. And there are also demons that would love to harass and hinder people in their walk with God. But they can have no part here because God is present here. And there is this kind of sanctifying influence that it happens in a church when we meet, when we invite God's presence and we praise Him and worship. 
And He comes in and He is free to, to work in our heart. He reigns and He is at work in your heart and mind even as I speak. And you're thinking about these things and you're grappling with it and God is speaking to you. And every day we're in this battle. When we go out into the world and we feel the struggle at work or at school or places like that, we feel temptations, we are bombarded with different things that come, and we need to walk every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are given this tremendous promise that greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. And when we walk with Him, He leads us in victory. I have come to learn in my life that everything of value requires some measure of discipline and vigilance to attain. You can think of that in physical ways, for example. You know, if you're trying to lose some weight, and as we get older, we all have to deal with some of those changes that take place. If you're trying to lose some weight, that takes discipline and vigilance. If you want to stay physically fit, you need to work at exercising. If you want to have money for retirement, you need to work at budgeting and saving and setting things aside. And all of those take some measure of discipline and vigilance to maintain. The same is true spiritually in our walk with God. If we are going to walk with Him, then I need to spend time in the Word and in prayer and I need people who are praying for me. If we are going to be morally pure, if that's important, and it is, then you and I need safeguards where we are guarding our heart and our mind and we need accountability. Spiritual growth. If that's going to happen, we need to be intentional about it. We need to be uh, having a plan. We need to be in the Word or we need to be putting into practice the things that we are learning. Small groups are one of the best ways to be discipled and to help us to do that. If we're going to have a strong marriage and family, we need to spend time together. We need to learn how to deal with conflict. We need to make that a priority to work through issues, forgive one another, love one another. We need to spend time with our kids, teaching them, letting them see our life, and also having fun together. These things are basic. They are basic spiritual disciplines that make a difference in our life when we put them into practice every day. In the 1994 Winter Olympics, uh, they were held in, uh, which were held in Norway that year, there was a 23-year-old American, Tommy Moe, from the United States, who won the downhill. In the Sports Illustrated article about that, one of the guys writing about it said it was just an absolutely perfect run. He kept his hands in front of him. He stayed in his tuck. When he went over those jumps where other people maybe just put their hands apart or just lost their balance for a moment and they'd catch a gust of wind or a little bit of air, that's all it takes to be the difference between winning and losing. When you're talking about hundredths of a second that separates people, just a little bit of spreading the arms or coming up out of your tuck for a moment can make the difference. And after the victory, they talked to Tommy Moe and he explained what he was thinking about when he went down on that run. He said, I kept it simple. I focused on skiing, not on winning, and not on where I'd place. And I remembered to breathe. (laughs) Now think about that. You know, and you're in this run that's maybe somewhere between, you know, one and a half to two minutes or so, and you're just so intense, you're not even breathing. You know, he's like, I just need to breathe. I just need to relax. And focus on skiing. 
Likewise, in our spiritual life, the difference between winning and losing, if you will, as a Christian, can be as simple as keeping our focus on God and listening to His Word and putting those things into practice that we know we should do. It's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and being obedient to the things that God has asked us to do. That's what Paul is urging Timothy to do in this passage. To fight the good fight of faith. And how do you fight that good fight of faith? Well, he says two things. We hold on to faith and we hold on to a good conscience. What does he mean by faith here? What is faith? Well, faith is the truth of God's Word. It is what Paul will call sound doctrine many times in this letter. It's the truth of what God has taught us in the Scripture. This is our authority and our guide for life. And what is a good conscience? Or what does he mean by that? That's a life free from sin. It's a life of integrity. It's where we are walking the talk. That the things we say we believe, we show in the way that we live, and we are consistent in that. And it doesn't mean that we won't sin or stumble along the way. It doesn't mean that we're going to be absolutely sinless or perfect. No, we're all going to have areas where we struggle or we have to pick ourselves up and we look to God and we ask for His forgiveness. But we are growing and people can see our progress. That's what he'll say to Timothy. I want you to think of these two things, faith and a good conscience, like the two ski poles that a skier has to help him stay upright. They're the two things that we need to hold on to when we're going down that hill, maybe sometimes faster than we really wanted to go. They help us to keep our balance. They help us to stay upright. I want to say a word about our conscience, though. Because sometimes you'll hear people say things like this, that we should let our conscience be our guide. Well, I want you to know that can be a dangerous thing sometimes. Because a conscience can be hardened or dulled by sin. There are some people, Paul says in the book of Ephesians, who because they have given themselves over to sin so much, their conscience has become calloused. And they are hard of hearing. Our conscience is not infallible. There are many people who have justified sin because they've said that, well, you know, it just felt right to do that. People will say that in terms of immorality. You know, if they're having sex outside of the bounds of marriage, some people will say things like, well, it just felt so good, or we felt in love, it has to be right. No, that's not true. Some people will say that about gossip. Well, I know I shouldn't probably say this, but it just felt so good to say it. Some people justify their theft by that. Uh, they say at the place that they'll work, you know, well, they'll never know I, I took it. They're a big company, a big corporation. I've been talking to a man who works security for a large business a retailer in our area, you know, all over the Twin Cities, and I've been appalled at how much shoplifting takes place and how most of it is by people who work for the company. It's the employees who do most of it. 
and they get caught and they get fired and there's a huge turnover because of it. But somehow people rationalize it as though, well, it's a big company, it's a big business, you know, they won't really miss it or it's just a small thing. You see, our conscience sometimes doesn't have it right. What sharpens our conscience is the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, Paul said, or the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, said, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food, because anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You see, he's saying it is by constant use of the Word of God, the Scripture on our life, our conscience is sharpened. And it helps us to discern or distinguish good and evil. Let me give you an example. In the late 1400s, early 1500s, there was a man named Thomas Lineker. He was a doctor to Henry VII and Henry VIII. In fact, he was the founder of the Royal College of Physicians back then. Well, late in life, in his studies, he had wanted to take orders in the Catholic Church. And so he did, and he was granted that privilege. And for the first time in his life, he was given a copy of the Scriptures to read. I mean, we're talking about a time when the Scriptures were kept by the priesthood. People couldn't read them on their own. They didn't have the Word of God. And this man, Thomas Lineker, lived at a time when the papacy was about at the lowest point it had ever gotten. Alexander VI was the Borgia Pope who was guilty of bribery, corruption, incest, murder. All of those things is the Pope in the church. And Thomas Lineker read the Gospels for the first time. And after he read them, this was his comment to a friend. He said, either these are not the Gospels or we are not Christians. The Word of God cut his heart so powerfully that when he read the Scripture, he said, either this isn't the Word of God or something is terribly, terribly wrong with us. It reminds me of the Old Testament where we read about in the days of Josiah the book of the law of Deuteronomy had been lost in the temple. And when they found it, when they were doing some cleaning out and they dusted this off and they read that, the king was cut to the heart. Because that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God is living and active and it pierces our heart to the very division of bone and marrow. It, it judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And it brings conviction. As a people, we need to believe and defend the truth because belief determines behavior. What we truly believe will show in our life. If I believe that there is salvation in no one else, I'm going to preach that way. And we are going to invite others to follow Jesus Christ. If I believe it is important to help the poor and to be generous and kind, then I will give generously and I will serve. If I believe that holiness is important, 
then I will work at being holy and more Christ-like in my attitude and my actions. That's real. That's what it means to be authentic as a Christian or to be genuine. Our faith needs to translate into action. And then also, we need to defend the truth. You can move forward on the, on the notes here some. We need to defend the truth because it is continually challenged by the world. Now, I know that that is difficult today because we live in a postmodern world where everybody feels like we should tolerate many different viewpoints as equally valid. In other words, everybody's belief is the same and what everybody believes ought to be equally valid and so that's fine for you and this is okay for me and we just go our merry way. In that kind of setting where people do not believe that there are any spiritual absolutes, the person who stands up and says, thus says the Lord, or I believe that this is God's Word, can be viewed as narrow-minded and intolerant. So how do we do this in a way that is winsome? Because the alternative to not say anything at all or the alternative to cave in to all of the world's demands is to find our own faith shipwrecked like the two men in verse 20. Because Paul says that some people have rejected holding on to the faith or some people have given up on having a good conscience and they've rejected these things and they have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Both of them are mentioned in 2 Timothy. Hymenaeus was a false teacher who thought the resurrection had already taken place. Alexander was a metal worker who opposed Paul in his ministry. And Paul said, I've handed them over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. That was an expression for church discipline. They had been disciplined and removed from the church because they refused to repent. And they refused to turn away from what they were teaching. And so to be handed over to Satan is really to be taken out of the church and put back into the domain of the world where Satan reigns. And it was done so that they might be taught not to blaspheme. The intent is remedial, if you will. Paul himself once was a blasphemer. And they are to be taught not to blaspheme. So how do we share our faith in a way that is gracious, yet takes a stand for Christ? Well, in the 1930s, there was a professor at Princeton named J. Gresham Machen who fought the good fight of faith. Presbyterian Church was divided. The PCA USA was the more liberal movement that was going in that direction and continues today. And that particular denomination he had been a part of, he had taught at Princeton for 23 years, faithfully teaching the Scriptures. But in 1935, he was stripped of his ordination and removed from the church for what they called insubordination because he refused to go along with the liberal direction that the church was headed. He's the one who wrote what we know as the fundamentals of the faith, which unfortunately today fundamentalism has taken on this very negative connotation in the media and news and things like that. So Sometimes we try to find a different word to use to explain that to people. But he stood for what was fundamental the authority of Scripture, the substitutionary death of Christ, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
And this comment was made about Machen. Pearl Buck, who was a member of the Presbyterian Church and was part of this whole liberal movement, said this of him. She said, I admired Dr. Machen very much while I disagreed with him on every point. The man was admirable. He never gave in one inch to anyone. Machen's life was that of the consummate Christian gentleman fighting a great fight. He stood for truth and did that firmly yet graciously. God calls us to be that kind of witness too. So I want you to think as an application of this message, think about these two ski poles, if you will. Faith and a good conscience. Sound doctrine and holy life. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. Are you holding on to both of them? Am I growing in the Word and holding on to the truth? Ask yourself that question. Ask yourself, do I use it as my guide for all of life? And do I know it well enough to defend it in school or at work? How are you doing in those areas? Holding on to the truth. Using it as a guide for life. Knowing it well enough to defend it. And then think about the other pole, if you will. And ask yourself, does my walk match my talk? Is my conscience clear before God? And am I living the way He wants me to live? And if there are things that need to be done to change or sin that needs to be put away or steps of faith that God's asking you to take, make it your aim to do that. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we as believers would all learn how to stay in this fight and fight with the means that you have given to us of the Word and prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to honor you. Help us to one day be able to stand in your presence with great joy, knowing that we have fought the faith to the end. I pray this in Jesus' name.